All right, if you are a realtor looking to get into new construction, I have a treat for you today. I'm sitting here with Boo Maddox, who has sold over 200 million in the past six years. This sold up to 200 units in one year. Welcome to the Freedom Chaser Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. If you want even more in-depth knowledge, sign up for our weekly mastermind for only $100 a month. That will be in the link below. Thank you so much for joining me, Boo. Why don't you just kick us off with a broad strokes overview of the strategy and then we'll dive deeper into it. For sure. Well, I, I think first things first, right? Because I think it's important to keep in mind that what I did, I, I represent a new construction builder. That's all I've ever known. Like I, I tell people all the time, I don't actually know how to put a house on the MLS here because I've never had to do it, right? It's just, it's not in my skill set. The, the builder takes care of it. But I think that's the first thing that I would do is that if you're in an organization and you're trying to hit another level of income, make sure that you're in the right spot that allows you to do that, right? I think first and foremost, if I don't give my flowers to the company that allows me to do what I do and the team that allows me to do what I do, I'm not sitting here talking about how I made X amount of dollars. And so I think you have to take a very crystal uh, you have to get very crystal clear on what it is that your team is offering and if that's even an ability within the organization that you're in. Because I think half the time, some of these different teams or these different setups that people have aren't aren't conducive to actually making six figures, right? Of course. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense, man. So let's dive into what you're doing. What I did to kind of get this started, I think first, as I set a goal, like I, I reverse engineered a goal for myself. I said, okay, this is how much I want to make, right? I remember I was sitting at church. It was towards the end of 2019 and I was sitting there with my wife and I just kind of started goofing. I was bored, right? I was I was bored. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's do some math here and figure out what it would actually take for me to make seven figures selling houses, right? Let's, let's talk about how many houses I'm going to have to sell Factoring in a cancellation rate, rate because we run at about a 20 to 25% cancellation rate. So I, how many do I need to sell every month in order to hit seven figures worth of income? And then how many are going to cancel? And then how many is that going to leave me with? And then once you have that number and you say, okay, I need to sell a house every other day or every three days or whatever the math is, then you can go and say, okay, what are the actions that are actually going to lead me to selling those houses? What, where do I need to put myself in? Because it's so hard to say I want to sell X amount of houses. Sorry, let me back up. It's really easy, I think, to say I want to sell X amount of houses. But a lot of us haven't actually put the thought process into what that looks like in order to sell that many homes or to sell that many units or to make six figures. We just say it because it's, I think it's a really easy thing to say. But when you actually look at the number and break it down, it's an entirely different ballgame at that point. 100%. So basically what you're saying is start with the end in mind, set a target, and then figure out the amount of actions that you need to take daily in order to hit that target. So you're obviously a fan of tracking your numbers. Am I following correct? Yes and no. Yes and no. Like I, I think I do a good job of like paying it. Like I, I think I'm probably more aware of where my numbers are at than the majority of people are with where their numbers are at. But I'm also not fixated on them, right? Because numbers can lie all of the time. So I think that's why it's important to understand where you're trying to get to. But then the things that I want to track, my goal is 1% better every day, right? If you're 1% better, you're 365% away from where you're at today, next year at this time. So if I can do the things every day, whether that's, and we'll get into some of like the specific things that I did, because I think even though what I did is going to be different than what other people did, the principles are the same, right? The, the root of what I am saying to do. I don't want to say what I'm saying to do because people can take and do with it what they want. What I did isn't going to be different than what other people did. It's just my version of it was a little bit different. So you have to figure out what your version is, not just what the numbers say. Because the numbers, the way that I scaled my business is going to be different. Even though the numbers were the same, 
the way I scaled and went about it was different, but you have to, you can't, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but you can't be beholden to those numbers because you have to be more focused on what the process is to get those numbers. And I think sometimes people get so fixated on those numbers that they're not doing the actual activities that lead to those numbers, right? Oh, precisely. When I was mentioning tracking, I was kind of more so referencing tra tracking like activities, like the amount of dials made, the amount of appointments set and things of that nature. Well, I, I think I'm also probably a terrible guest for this too, but I go off of feel quite a bit. And I think that that's also uh, uh, understated when it comes to trying to make this type of like, I, once you've been there, you kind of know, okay, my phone needs to be ringing X amount of times. Like I, you can kind of tell where your business is at based on the feel. And as long as you're honest and open with yourself about where it's at, then you can kind of go and start to push those numbers a little bit more. Right. But I, I think getting those numbers has to absolutely be the first step that you take so that you can become very aware of what it is going to, to be, to get there. Cause I, I mean, this is, a, this is a great example, right? So when I was sitting, when I was sitting there at the end of 2019, right, I was selling about 60 to 70 units. It was my third year. I felt really great about where my business was at. And so when I started to look at it, I was, I was at about six or seven transactions a month. And in order to hit seven figures, I had to jump up to 16 transactions a month, including a 20% cancellation rate, which would put me at about 12 to 13 transactions. So I thought that in 2020 was going to be my year to kind of split the difference a little bit and maybe get to seven, eight, maybe nine transactions in a really good month. And then in 2021, my goal was going to be to try to make that extra jump to get an additional two sales a month. Right. That was kind of where my thought process went. And it's crazy. What happened is that I was able to do it in 2020 without having to take the extra year. And I obliterated what my goal was. So I think getting those numbers is so important because it, I, I don't know if it just like breaks it down in your mind and you're not as like daunted by the task or something. But I was that was really the first time I would say, like I told you, I'm not a numbers guy, but that was really the first time that I sat down and said, OK, what would this actually take? And it was amazing what happened to my production and my business once I was aware of that, right? Absolutely, man. And that is crazy impressive at the rate that you scaled. So tell me a little bit more about the new construction business that you're running. Are you primarily working on the listing side or are you working on the buy side? Yeah. So all I do is rep the builders in available inventory. So I, there's a couple of different ways that you can get sales from that. The majority and the, the path that a lot of new construction agents go is, is they sit a model home and they, they're there from 12 to six every day. And they're hoping that somebody walks in. I did that for the first couple of years, but at the same time, what I was also doing, and this is something, like I said, make sure the organization that you're at wants you to succeed and wants you to be making like, wants you to be doing well at this job. Cause their, their emphasis was, Hey, you can sit around and wait all that you want to, or you can go and try to start working with buyer's agents as much as you can and connecting the two and saying, Hey, buyer's agent, we're in Utah, right? We have a massive inventory shortage. You need a place to put your buyer. I have some of the best available inventory in the state. Let's be friends. And so I started to do that. And when I took a look at where my business was actually coming from in 2019, I realized that about 70 to 80% of my business was coming from these real estate agents that I was working with and not from sitting in a model home waiting for traffic to come in. Right. So then what that allowed me to do is say, okay, who was my actual client in this situation? Who was my actual client? It's not the buyer. It's not even the builder that I rep because they're going to make the decisions. Right. I, I think in a lot of situations, if you're an agent and you say, Hey, this is probably what the market is. The seller is going to be like, okay, great. Thank you. Like, that's great. Let's do that here. If I tell a seller, Hey, this is what it, they're going to say, Hey, we sold 1800 homes last year. We're good. Thanks for your opinion, but you can keep it to yourself. Right. So I, for me, that was, I got crystal clear on who my client was and that was the buyer's agent. So my entire business, once I, that was, that was my mindset going into 2020. And I think it was the first time too, where I got crystal clear on who I would say was my ideal target market, who was my client, who was 
This is, if I could, I, I got super, super clear on this is the exact type of person that I want to work with. And I did everything in my power to go find as many of that person as I possibly could. You're basically taking the concept of who, not how. You're finding the agents that are going to sell the house for you so that you're not out there doing the open houses and tracking down the actual buyers yourself. You're actually leveraging other contacts, which is absolutely brilliant. I love what you're doing there. Before we dive deeper into that, Let's get into step one, right? Like if somebody's looking to represent a builder, what kind of actions would you recommend that they be taking? There's a couple of different ways and, it, and it, this is kind of gonna be a hotly debated topic. So I'd probably love your opinion on this as well. Um, it's not sexy to sell new construction. Like it is, it, but, but we met in that lab code agents group even in there the other day, there's people that just trash talk builders agents, right? Because builders agents, they think that, and and to an extent they're true, right? It, it is very possible to make a hundred grand a year, sit in a model home, do your, do your work like you're supposed to. And it's pretty much a salary, right? Like that is absolutely possible. If you want that, great, go and get that. But I also think if you're really looking to get in with a builder and you want to be successful, show them that you are the agent that's going to go out there and procure business, not wait for the builder to go and procure business. I, I think that's going to be step number one for the majority of people. Absolutely. So are you reaching out to these builders cold? Are you walking into a model home or how are you introducing the conversation with them? Let me, yeah, let me clarify. I only work for one builder. So those 200 units were all represented and sold through one builder here in Utah. Um, I, I think there's a couple of different ways that you could go and try to get business from a builder. I think the big thing is going to be showing that you know how to market their homes better than anybody else. If you can't market their homes better than anybody else, they're not going to give you the time of day, right? Absolutely. Cool. So that makes sense. So you, you want to show up, you want to provide value, essentially. You want to lead with value always in order to get that conversation rolling so you have the opportunity later down, right? I don't think it's any different than, than any other listing other than you might have more, you might have a little bit more on the line because it might not just be one home. But I think if I was, I, I would start trying to find a smaller developer, a smaller builder. I'm talking, I, I mean, they might have a community of 12 to, to 30 or 40 units. That's a great place to start. And I don't think that anybody that's in that situation is going to have a go-to person that they absolutely have to use, like maybe some of the more established builders. Let's dive into your buyer strategy now. So what kind of resources are you, are you using to identify the buyer's agents that you want to work with? And then how does that process look overall? That's a good question. I think that that is probably what shifted the most for me in 2022 was that I got very, very clear on how I wanted to go after those people. So what I actually did is I started a podcast um, that was geared towards finding the top producers in every real estate office that I could call. So what I wanted was an irresistible offer to call and, and create value. So now what I, instead of trying to go in and like, like, if you look at what my job is, it could probably be misconstrued almost like a lender or almost like a title rep that's out trying to get business from real estate agents. And I think sometimes I probably get lumped into that category. So what I wanted to do was call and say, okay, how can I create value for you before I even ask for you to bring a buyer to me? Right. That was that was what I really wanted to get across in 2022. And so now what I, I, I took a look at what I had to offer. And I, I don't care if I market directly to consumers as a builder's agent. I don't care. I want every deal that I sell to be represented by a buyer's agent. Like my represented rate on those 200 or let's say 400 transactions in the last two years. I or three years, I, I probably 98, 99% of them have been represented by buyer's agents. So I don't care if I'm not trying to market directly to your buyers. So what I thought is, okay, can I come up with a podcast? Can I come up with a piece of content 
where by or where the agents are going after the consumer. So can I come up with a podcast or something that makes that agent look as good as possible that I'm wanting to interview and ultimately build a relationship with? And not only that, but is there a way for me to identify the ones that are actually producing on a regular basis? So now my call is this, right? I call a broker that I've never met and I have no idea who they are. And I say, hey, my name is Boo Maddox. This is the podcast that I have. Can you introduce me to the top three to five agents in your office based on production that you want to highlight your office and show you guys off as a brokerage? And every broker that I call has two or three referrals for me at that point. Okay, Boo, I'm getting excited now because... <laughs> So I say this is actually such a brilliant strategy. I love it. Obviously, I'm in podcasting too, man. Um, I have yet to find a strategy for networking that is superior than podcasting. So I love that you started doing this. How did you get the idea for the podcast? Did it kind of did you think of doing a podcast first and it kind of evolved organically? Or did you very cleverly <laughs> just start doing this on your own? Kind of a combination, right? So I there there's kind of two components to what my business was. Right. Number one was the management because I have once I sign a client, they are under contract from anywhere from eight to 12 months during the build process. So that is that is portion B of my business and portion A is feeding the business with new new people. This is what I'm really good at is getting out, making introductions, building rapport, gaining new clients. So I got all of this automated. Right. I got assistance. I got a team. I got people in place to help run this portion of the business. And, and the podcast and everything like that was was meant to kind of do the same thing to the front end of my business, right? That The goal was to meet as many new people, branding, reputation, everything like that with the podcast. So I, I felt really good. I was, I was in Hawaii with my wife feeling great about what my year was. And I realized I don't have a way to automate the getting to know people process without me doing the song and dance with everybody. And so I started just trying to come up with different ways to 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 get in front of people in a, in a unique way, but also create value and build that relationship really, really quickly. Around the same time I had the opportunity, I got invited onto a couple of different podcasts and I was like, I jumped at the opportunity, right? I was so excited to be on that opportunity uh, or to be, to be on a podcast with some people. And I was like, okay, wait, nobody says no to podcasts, right? Nobody says no to coming on and talking about how amazing they are. So if I can give that same opportunity to the people that I'm working with, it will build that relationship quicker. So now the relationship that used to take two or three weeks or sorry, two or three months to get to know somebody enough for them to trust me to bring their business. Now we're coming in and we're having a 40 minute face-to-face -face conversation and the relationship is just completely different once they leave. It's, it's just a completely different feel. It's a completely different effect. So ultimately it was, it was me wanting to come up with a way to create value for people because I didn't, I, I, the perceived value of the podcast is getting to show off to everybody how great you are. I don't really care if people know how great I am. Why? Because my client is the real estate agent sitting across from me. I want them to look as good as possible. I don't really care what the buyer's opinion is of me. I totally agree with you. Like, it is one of the best ways to start a relationship with somebody, spending 30, 45 minutes one-on-one. -on -one. You're essentially pumping them up most of the time. You're making them look good. And every time you end a podcast interview, as long as you're not terrible, they're going to love it because people like to talk about themselves, right? So it, it's really just, it's an amazing strategy. I really do appreciate that. And I think that you're trying to do, or you are doing the exact same thing, right? It's not, it, it's all about how you make people feel and how they remember. And so like, I genuinely don't care 
what comes out of that podcast. Why? Because it was successful just by sitting down with them. And I think that's, uh, that's what ultimately allowed me to start creating content on a regular basis was the value from the content is done when the moment that that podcast interview is done. My, all of the perceived value that I want to get out of a podcast, once the cameras turn off, I'm done. I'm good. Like, I feel like I won at that point. Everything that comes after that, any views, any branding, any personal people DMing me saying, Hey, I love this. Those are all gravy on top. So I don't really care what my views look like. I don't. And we, we had a great year, which was crazy, but I I stopped fixating on what, 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 I used to think was successful in content. And I changed it to now my content is successful before we even edit anything. Precisely, because you're focused on the relationship more so than the content. Anything that the content brings out is simply bonus, right? Uh, The personal branding that comes with it, I I say it's a bonus, like it's a cherry on top, like it's not unbelievable when I walk into a Starbucks now and a real estate agent will say, hey, you do this podcast, right? If I can have a real estate agent, and it's happened, like people will stop and ask me about the, it's just, it's getting my clients to ask me about my business. that that's literally all that my goal was with the podcast. And I think everybody should be doing some version of that. If you're not creating some version of content to get your target market to stop and say, Hey, that's Tim, you're missing the the mark completely with your content. I think, right. Let's talk about the follow-up process after the podcast has been completed. Um, I'm sure there's a post-show. Do you have a structure for the post-show? Where does it go from there? All of this is brand new to me, so I could probably use some advice on that. I don't have any form, but what I do have is I have a couple of content creators on my staff full time. So what I'll have them do is they'll go through and review the podcast and get out a couple clips for me, obviously, but then they'll also get one to two clips of that person talking that agent in my chair talking about how great they are. We edit it up, we clean it up, we send it to them as short form content so that they can promote themselves on people's pages, right? So now what's happening is my podcast is going out onto your buyer's page, hypothetically. That So then when they come in, they already know who I am. It's just, that's been my goal and my focus is to give that value to them. I probably need to do something different than that, but I, I, I'm all ears. All I do right now is just send them clips to post on their own Instagram. If it's working, don't don't fix it right no i and i would love to hear what other and maybe we can do another call at some point that's not live but like i there has to be a better follow-up way so i yeah i'm all here so i'm probably a bad example on what to do with that but but i i I guess i'm not because i don't do a ton with the podcast for follow-up but then what i do have is now these people are in my database and i'm constantly sending them our best spec inventory any price reductions like so my follow-up is still happening because like i said that's my client the person sitting in the chair is my client. So my follow-up with them later is now, hey, th- here's our quick move-in list, right? Outside of just the podcast. So, I mean, that's totally valid, dude. So you're basically putting them on an email list so that you're staying top of mind. Yeah, and we're, we're hitting them with videos. We're, we're following them on social media. We're What we're doing is like we, my number one goal wasn't for the podcast to take over the relationship with my client. What the goal was, was to get them into my system and get them familiar with me. Because once they're familiar and once we're friends, this job becomes a hell of a lot easier than trying to convince you I'm not some mortgage guy saying, hey, send me business and hook. Because you get people to know, like, and trust you as long as you follow up consistently, your, your business is going to continue to grow, right? Yeah. And I, I think that there's so many opportunities. I think first things first, you have to get crystal clear on who your client is that you are trying to make that content for and do everything that you can for them. 
I, I, there's so many different opportunities out there. I, if I was a resale agent and I had a whole list of, of people that I had already closed transactions with, I, the, the fact that there's not somebody sitting down and doing a, I think a podcast called how'd I do where you authentically interview your past clients about how well you did on the transaction would be unbelievable. I think a podcast called my first time where you just interview 25 or 30 first time home buyers and say, Hey, how was your agent? How was the experience? What did you wish you knew going into it? Where do you wish you would have like, there's so many, that would be an unbelievable pot. Like there's so many things, but you have to get crystal clear. The reason that my podcast works for me is not because it's a podcast and not because it's edited and not because the room looks good, but because it is very specific to my clientele. I don't give a shit. I'm sorry if that's a bad word on this podcast. I don't give a shit if nobody outside of real estate agents listen to my podcast. Even more specific than that, Tim, I don't care if any real estate agents that are not in Utah and within a 30 mile radius of me listen to my podcast, right? Why? Because anybody outside of that is not bringing me business. I don't care if they listen to it. So if I only have that, and this is probably where I'm different than a lot of people. If I only have three or four or 5,000 people that are actively tuning into me, I don't care as long as those three or four or 5,000 people can all have the ability to bring me a transaction. So basically define your avatar and then find a way to get in touch with that avatar via podcast. So create some sort of podcast format that makes them look good. And then essentially you start the relationship with them, you provide them value, you provide them content, and then you use that to basically create a business that is essentially recurring. I feel very confident in my ability once you, once, once your barriers are down and once you can feel like, okay, this dude's not just trying to like say, hey, give me all of your business and I'm not gonna create any value in return. Once I can get through like the first like get to know you phase with clients, I, I'm good. I'm really, really good after that. I'm really good on the upfront. It just took so dang long that I had to shorten that process. I, I think that that's probably what a lot of people need to get crystal clear on is you're not trying to do the entire process with somebody through content, All, like at least for me, right? If you are really good at what you do as a real estate agent though, and if you're not making six figures, step one probably should be getting really, really good at this before you start worrying about finding new people, right? So if you're not already good at this and you don't feel confident in what your skill set is, there's no sense in shoving a whole bunch of brand new people into what that process is. So get really, really good and then start trying to figure out how to add some people to it and don't let the content do the job for you, right? Don't The content isn't going to do it. That's just to get you started. That's just to get new people in. And, and I think the other thing too that I want to clear up because you asked me how I got started in this and you, it didn't start off with a podcast. What it started off with was, was an 18-year-old kid that I hired who could create reels with his phone on demand, right? He could literally crank out 10, 15, 20 of these as quickly as you wanted to. So what I started doing was calling these agents that I work with and say, hey, if I make you some free content – in one of my model homes talking about how great new construction is for one of your buyers, would you post that on social media? Every single one of the agents that I called said yes. Do you know how many agents I would call and say, hey, do you want to go get lunch? Would actually go to lunch. How many? 80% less. The majority of people don't want to go get lunch. They don't like the majority of your clients aren't going to want to go and do stuff with you. That's just the reality of the, uh, of the situation. You can either fight against it or you can accept it. So what I started trying to do was once again, how can I create value for people without any expectation in return? So when I call and I say, Hey, do you want to make some free content for your Instagram? Here's a couple of examples of what we do. Not a single person told me no. Every agent that I called. And then I even, I was like, okay, now I got to test this theory a little bit. So I started to say, Hey, 
agent that I know, can you bring two or three other agents that I don't know that I haven't met yet and have them come make content in my model home with me? Every one of those people brought two or three people too. So it just, it, 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 that's how it starts. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't have to be long form. I use content though as a weapon, not as, not as just something that you do on the side. Like content should be very, very targeted and very, very specific. Not just the, not just what you're putting out, but the actual creation of it. If the creation of the content isn't aiding your business, you're slowing your business down, I think. So give me a little bit more insight on these reels that this 18 year old kid you hired were creating. So what, what did they tend to look like? Were they like walkthrough videos? Or, or just kind of give me an idea. They were whatever we wanted them to be, right? They were, and they still are. Like, I don't use it as much now because I, I have the podcast, I have the studio. Now people come in, but it was it was common myths of buying new construction. It was whatever they want to do. If they wanted to show off the walkthrough, if they want to show off the community, whatever they wanted it to be. But it was really fun for me because we would take an hour, we would create two to three reels for each of them. And then we would like, but it was all uh, uh, like a brainstorming session. So that relationship just went, instantly right yeah this is actually making a ton of sense so were you guys meeting at like an office or were you meeting what were you meeting at the house itself so i would i would call an agent i would say hey i yeah i i will make you this content it has to be new construction specific everybody understood that because that was what my thing was right i sell new construction i'm pretty obvious about that so everyone was okay with that and then we would just do it in a model home we would do it in a community we would um, we would do it in a, in a framed house. We would do any portion of the new construction process that we wanted to highlight. We would just go find one of those and start creating the content within that space for that person, right? I wasn't posting anything with these people on my personal Instagram. That was not the goal. The goal was to sit down and build that relationship with my clients. Absolutely. And you're leading with value first. So, I mean, basically with both of these strategies, same principle, right? So you're either teaching people how to create reels, you're, you're, you're leading with value and you're creating a relationship, or you're bringing them onto a podcast and you're doing essentially the same thing. You're leading with value, you're making them look good, and then you're giving them content to use. With no expectation of anything in return. I think that's the, I think that's like the comma, but no expectation of anything in return. Because I, I think if you're going into it, I, this isn't me paying for Zillow leads, right? This isn't me saying, hey, I'm going to pay for 50% of your Zillow bill and, and you're going to send me the buyers. This was, hey, I, we're going to create this. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. But my goal wasn't to sell houses from this. My goal was to build that relationship, right? Going back to what we talked about earlier, I'm not focused on the sale. I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on the action that leads to that sale. For me, the action that would lead to that sale was meeting as many new real estate agents as I possibly could and building a relationship with them as fast as I possibly could. That was, this is the vehicle. Content was the vehicle. Before I had content, I had other ways of doing it, but it was all very much face-to-face. -face. It was in their office. It was going to lunch. It was going to events. It was cold calling with them. It was, it was a lot more labor intensive and content allowed to kind of shortcut that a little bit. Absolutely. I love what you're doing with relationships. I think more realtors should be going B2B. It's something that's not taught as much as, as you mentioned, like loan officers invite us off for coffee every freaking week, right? And we roll our eyes, right? Yes, exactly. Right. We roll our eyes because they're not leading with value, right? What if they were inviting us onto their podcast or something like that? Yeah. Can I ask you a question though? If a lender called you today and said, Hey, I have this podcast geared towards buyers. Would you go on it with them? 10 times out of 10. Exactly. And once I realized that, that nobody says no to free content, I was like, okay, bet we'll go with this. I'll pay, I'll pay the two grand a month or whatever it costs me to have one of these individuals on payroll that knows how to edit. And that's a different conversation. I'm more than happy to talk about how you could actually scale that content side. But that's I, what you just said. 
you'll say no to coffee. You'll say no to lunch. You'll probably say no to Ruth Chris dinner, but you would, you will say yes to a podcast with a lender that you have no idea who they are. Precisely. And then that lender gets to spend, you know, 30 to an hour alone with me starting to build that relationship. Face to face, face to face. Yes. Okay. I love this. So, so your business strategy is, is very relational focused and content focused. Is there anything else that I'm missing here that, that will fill in any gaps? Yes, I'm very good at what I do. And I mean that with as much arrogance as I possibly can. Like I, I genuinely believe that I give buyers agents a really, really good opportunity to sell a house they might not have otherwise sold, right? Like I genuinely believe that. And I have put tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of hours and, and, and just nonstop endeavors to try to get better at what I do. Not like I told you earlier, none of this matters unless you're good at what you do do and you put time and energy into that. And I have spent a ton of time and energy and I still do into getting as good as I possibly can for the clients that I, I work with. So I think uh, above and beyond everything else, it's been amazing as I've interviewed more and more agents, the amount of people that aren't putting time into getting better at what they do. That I think also needs to be an overarching theme of your business if you ever want to make six figures in this is that you are constantly trying to be the absolute baddest that you could possibly be. Absolutely 100% agreed. So I'm going to echo what you said towards the beginning. You focus on being 1% better every day so that over the course of a year, you're essentially exponentializing your skill set, right? So I mean, if you focus on that 1% daily, those, those small hinges swing huge freaking doors, right? And then hire a content creator, hire somebody to help you edit everything, just like you do a transaction coordinator. So there's that too. What are you guys working on over the next year? We just hit New Year's. Um, what, what is your vision for the next 12 to 18 months? That's a good question. And obviously, I think with the market changing, at least here in Utah, I think across the board, I think it's going to be once again, going back to what we were just talking about, skill development, I think is going to be more important in 2023 than it has been since maybe 2018 or 2019. I think from 2020 to really halfway through 2022, skill development didn't mean anything because of the large amount of buyers that existed in every market. And so because of that, uh, myself included, certain skills became less sharp than they were in 2018, 2019, and kind of the beginning of 2020. And I think going into 2019 or 2023, that is going to have to be the forefront. And I don't think I'm saying anything original or unique here. That is going to have to be the focus because what it's going to take to get a home under contract for the next 12 to 18 months is vastly different than what it was in 2020. Without question, man, if you had a pulse and you were able to sign a listing, you were able to sell that listing after 2020, essentially, right? And things have changed. I mean, I don't know what your market is like in particular, but right now, I mean, I'm sitting at 1.5 months inventory, but the buyer demand is, is, I don't want to say non-existent, but compared to six months ago, I mean, it's gone. Um, so, Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, man. But what do you think? Where do you think the market is heading? Um, I think we're going to see it going down for a little while longer. Honestly, I think I think we're going to see maybe another four to six months of insecurity of people not being sure. And I think uh, buyers right now almost have paralysis from analysis, right? Like they, for the first time in two or three years, they actually have options. They actually have stuff that they could go and look at, um, not just hey, submit this offer in the next fifteen or twenty minutes, or you're going to lose the house. So I think that buyers are going to realize over the next six to seven months that just because houses are getting cheaper doesn't mean that they're getting more affordable, 
right? Just because just because purchase prices are coming down doesn't mean that monthly payments aren't going up and doubling from where they were at last year. So I think as that starts to become the reality of what 2023 is going to be, I think towards the last half of the year, at least here in Utah, right, there's still a massive amount of buyers that don't have a house to go to. In Utah, currently, we're about 40 to 45,000 units short as a state. That means that those people are shoved in basements, they're shoved in motorhomes, they're shoved in wherever they might be, parents' basements, whatever they're still going to need a place to live. And I think as we come out of whatever this is, whatever they're going to label it in, in three or four years when they're talking about it, you're going to see a, a, an uptick, I think, towards the end of the year, just because this feels kind of like it's a forced slowdown with interest rates more than anything. So I, I think I don't think that you're in a bad spot if you buy anything in the next six months, because I do think interest rates are going to keep going up over the next two to three years, we might see blips, but I think by and large, people that miss the boat on 3% interest rates miss the boat and it's not going back. Once they realize that, they'll re-enter the buying pool, but what they're going to have to do is get accustomed to what their money buys them now because it's not what it was a year ago. So I think those are gonna be kind of some of the nuances that you have to learn to navigate and work with people over the next 12 months. But I do think within the next 12 to 24 months, you will see, I. I at least here in Utah, I think that you're going to see a frenzy as bad, if not worse than what happened in 2020. Thank you so much for the detailed answer. Boom Addicts, man. Anybody listening, if they wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? Instagram, Boom Addicts. I, I think I'm the only one. I've, I think my Instagram's like the Boom Addicts or something tacky like that. But it was Boom Addicts was taken by somebody. Um, Instagram's a great way. Like that's kind of my preferred. I'll, although I think if you're not putting time into YouTube, YouTube shorts are about to absolutely be crazy in 2023. You heard it here first. Repurpose your content for YouTube shorts if you're not. Okay, here's my prediction and we can jump on a call in two years. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit him in. TikTok will be dead in two years. Boom. Pen drop like a mic drop. YouTube will kill TikTok within two years. Yeah, or the government will. It looks like that's on the table too. Or yeah, or the government. The government. But I like if you look at like for example, Snapchat was every was all of the rage for a little while, and then as soon as Instagram went and started offering um, the twenty four hour posts that they do, the story type posts, I, nobody Snapchats anymore. Everybody has a Snapchat group with their friends that they send perverted stuff that they don't want their wife to see as like a joke. That's what people use Snapchat for. So everybody has one group chat that if anybody else in the world saw it, they'd be like, "What the hell is this?" That's what Snapchat is being used for. I think TikTok's going to be the same thing because YouTube is a YouTube has been the number two search engine in the world for the last couple of years, right? They're not a search engine. That's not what they were designed for. They are a social media platform. What they have never had though is the ability for people to go and input what they're or, or to just get on there and scroll. So now what you have is you not only have the search engine ability that YouTube is, but now people are going to be sucked in because they have those YouTube shorts. So everything that we are doing on my side with my team Everything that we're doing is we're building it around YouTube and then repurposing everything for the other social media platforms. I, I think YouTube kills TikTok within two years. And he drops the mic again. Well, yeah. I, sorry about that. <laughs> You're cool, man. I like it, actually. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your business, Boo. Um, to those of you out there chasing freedom, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold dust. We can't do what we were doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube are worth more than money right now. So please do what you can to support the show. And remember, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Pick no more than three of the strategies that we discuss in shows like this and take massive action. 
Go form relationships and create content with people that you could build businesses with together. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.